Welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on Refuge Church, or to learn how you can give to this ministry, visit refugejacks.church. Hey, Refuge, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be in that section called the Great Commission this morning. If you've grown up in church, it's a section you've probably heard before. Uh, So go ahead and turn to Matthew 28. Once you're there, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we'll jump into our message this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for this morning, and we thank you for a time to gather and to open your word. God, to exalt you through song, exalt you through prayer, through the reading of scripture. God, and now as we open, God, your word, and we ask you to speak to us in a new way, God, we pray that you would do that. We pray that your word would be alive and true, God, it would teach and convict um, and draw us to you. God, we need you and we love you. Amen. So we are in a series, started last week, called There's No Good Apart from God. Uh, If you're here physically, you have these little handouts. On the back of this is the mission and the strategy and a place to take notes. So if you're taking notes uh, today, whether it's in a journal, on a notebook, or you're here, next to this kind of gold bullet point, I would encourage you to write down just three words. And those words are go, not grow. Go, not grow. Which is, if you have a vision card handy, uh, which we gave out for the first four or five weeks, and they're around all over campus, on our vision card, I think the second one is this idea of go, not grow, one of our values of Refuge Church. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to I talk about what I believe God is trying to communicate to his church and has been for a long time through the Great Commission and through the idea of going and not growing. So what if I told you uh, that most Christians get the calling of the Christian life uh, just kind of twisted and wrong? Um, not wrong like completely wrong direction, just kind of off course a bit. What if, I, what if I came to you and said, in my experience, in 20 years of ministry, I've walked with people and I've shared the gospel with people and I've worked in the church, I've continued to see this trend where man, people have, have the, the right motives and the right desires and they just kind of get off track. And, and, he, and let, me, let me tell you what I mean. I think there's two things that, that seem to come up in church so often that, that, that are kind of twisted and incorrect. The first one is this idea of being good or being moral, that that's really the most important thing, that we make being good and moral ultimate. And now, there's obviously a calling to be moral and to be morally upright as a believer. Um, but to say that it's the most important call is, is, is not biblically correct. See, the Bible doesn't say be good. The Bible says actually the very first call of the Christian life is not to behave, but to behold. If you have some time later, you can turn to Matthew 22. And when Jesus is confronted by the teachers of the law, and they say, what is the, the greatest commandment? Like, what is the, if there's one thing we're supposed to be about, and if there's one thing we're supposed to do, and it's that one thing that's most important, what is it? And Jesus' response is, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is his response, that you would love God. Yet so often in church, we preach morality. We, we tell our kids, go to church and be good, go to school and be good. But what we don't say, man, is love God more. And so one of the things, first things I think that goes off the rails is, is, is the idea of morality. And, and, and the first call of the Christian life is not to behave, 
but to behold. And the first call of the Christian life is not to be good, not to be morally upright, but it's to love God and to worship God. And when we blend those two, or when we make kind of this morally kind of upright life more important than loving God, we've missed the point. This is literally what the Pharisees did. They were trying really hard to be moral, and in the process of that, they forgot what it looked like to love God. And so Jesus says the most important thing is that you would love God. And the first call of the Christian life is not to behave, but to behold then the second thing is, is this. It's a phrase I heard, uh, man, I've heard for 20 years. I've heard of the church. Um, and it's, it's, it's this really strange phrase that, that really you have a hard time finding in Scripture. You can, you can kind of manipulate it and make it there, but, but, but really it doesn't say this phrase. And that, that idea is really simple. Ready? Grow spiritually. It might sound something like, I want to grow more spiritually, or I wish I was growing spiritually, or I don't feel like I'm really growing spiritually right now. There's this phrase, growing spiritually, that, that has become really popular in the church, that, that we think that's the goal, to grow spiritually. Now, as we endure and as we continue to walk in faith as believers, we will grow in spiritual maturity, but to, to desire this, this to grow spiritually is it's kind of a strange thing. We can grow in grace and we can grow in faithfulness and we can grow in obedience. But this growing spiritually, sometimes it's really undefined. And so we kind of start to go, to grow spiritually for me means I'm just become a more spiritual person. Like I stop sinning as much and, and I'm just like really spiritual. I stop cussing and like I'm just really spiritual. And, but it becomes this really hard thing to define. And so what we tend to do is we tend to go download a bunch of podcasts, listen to a lot of sermons, read a bunch of books that are by famous Christian authors, only listen to Christian music. We buy a bunch of Christian journals and Christian coffee mugs. Those are the mugs with the Bible verse on them. And we do these things to try to enhance some spiritual growth within us. Now, I'm not saying spiritual growth is not important, but what I am saying is this idea of that I've got to grow spiritually is, is a little bit off track. Here's what I mean. Are you aware that the idea of growing spiritually is, is not even really in the Bible? Again, we can grow in grace and we can grow in mercy and we can grow in our worship and we can grow in our faithfulness. And over time, the Bible says we will grow in spiritual maturity. But are you aware that this idea might not be super biblical? The Bible speaks of, of these things, but, but, I'll, but here, here's, the, here's, the, here's, here's the point. I believe if we're not careful, we trade the idea of go for the idea of grow. Because growing spiritually is safer and easier than going with the gospel. See, see, God gives us the great commandment in Matthew 22, and then in Matthew 28, which we're going to read in just a minute, he gives us the great commission. And the great commission is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, that we are to go as Christians and take the gospel, the gospel that Jesus is better, the gospel that Jesus is in my place, the gospel that says, but God, from Romans 5, 8, that we are to go with that gospel and take it to those who have never heard that gospel, who have never placed faith in Christ, and as a result, see them become disciples, see them get baptized, and see that happen. What Jesus said to see, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, see disciples be made of all nations. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll trade the idea of growing spiritually for the idea of going and taking the gospel. When Jesus' direct words are, love God and go with the gospel. So here's, here's what I'd love for you to, if you want to write something else down. All Christians are called to go, not grow. 
You will grow as you walk with the Lord. But all Christians are called to go, not as much grow. Let me, let me, um, let me try to capture this in a story. Um, for, for a while, I worked with high school and college students, and I would get to take them on mission trips. And it was really one of the coolest things I got to do as a pastor. And um, I can think of two instances, a, a, a young man named Jay and a young lady named Annabelle, and uh, two different trips where these trips, I, I almost had to twist their arm to, to get them to go on these trips, these out-of-the-country, third-world country mission trips to go and share the gospel. And, and I really pushed both of them, and after a couple of years, they both agreed, and again, separate trips, and they went, and I got to see the same thing happen. These, these young college students who were incredibly introverted, kept to themselves, faithful to the Lord, but, but really just kind of trying to figure out what was next— they went on these trips, and as they went, and for the first time shared the gospel, and then continued to share the gospel, God almost awakened them to something that they had never gotten before. God awakened them. I saw both of them come alive, because they started stopped focusing so much on trying to grow spiritually, whatever that means, and they started trying to focus on being obedient to the scriptures to go with the gospel. And I saw both of them stand in front of our group that was there and groups there and present and share the gospel in front of the entire group. I saw both of them set an example. I saw both of them come back, be leaders. They begin to disciple other people, walk with them, share the gospel. Their lives were changed. Even on the outside, they were completely different people because of the experience they had had in being obedient to the Lord. And I tell you their story to tell you that the, that, the, that the calling of the Christian life, we talk about called a lot, the calling of the Christian life is go, not grow. Jesus says, love me, and once you love me, now go and take the gospel where it's not. Love me and go and make disciples of my gospel, of me. Make disciples, not grow spiritually. So when we're saying go, not grow, we're saying make disciples not grow spiritually. Let me, let me keep going. When we don't grow, we don't go. And when we don't grow, and we don't grow, excuse me, when we're not making disciples, going without growing creates these stagnant Christians. See, here's what actually happens. That as we embrace obedience and we go and make disciples, we do begin to grow spiritually in a way that we didn't think we could or didn't know was possible. See, it's, 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 we've gotten the math backwards. We, we try to pursue this. I'm going to grow closer to the Lord without being obedient. And God says, it starts with obedience. And so I've got to go before I can grow. And when I go, then I begin to grow in and with men the Lord. And here's one of the things I continue to learn. That, that for me to go, to take the gospel where it's not, God must take my eyes off of my kingdom before he can build his See, we talked last week about interruptions, about how God interrupts our lives to remind us there's no good apart from him. And that oftentimes those interruptions are God's way of interjecting his plan where I haven't left space for it. Well, well as we continue to navigate that, God often has to take our eyes off of our own kingdom before he can build his through us. So if you'll go to Matthew 28, we'll basically we're just going to read these five verses together one at a time. Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. So the first thing we see in 16 is, is they went where Jesus told them to go. We see obedience. When you write that down, obedience. Obedience. Go is the call of obedience. Go and make disciples of all nations starts with go. 
And go starts with a response from you and I, and that response is obedience. Look, it starts with the disciples' obedience. They went as Jesus directed. If I'm going to go where God is calling me to go with the gospel, it starts with obedience. I cannot go without a life of obedience. And let me say it a different way. Um, Your obedience on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday matter just as much as it does on Sunday. Your obedience to go where God's calling you to go in 10 years matters just as much now as it will in 10 years when he removes you and pulls you and places you somewhere else. And obedience is, 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 is the point here. Am I willing to go with the gospel wherever God calls me to go? Because here's what I've learned. Oftentimes, God's going to start with that awkward relationship that I have or that really almost scary relationship that I have that I really don't want to engage in. Am I willing to go with the gospel where I already am? Am I willing to share it with, man, with my barista, with my neighbors, with my family members, with those that God has already put around my life? And am I willing to go with the gospel? Here's what I want to do. I want to take like, like, I want to kind of do this, this tangent for a second. Because as I was thinking over this message and praying over this message that it would really be received well, I kept coming back to the same thing. I really believe there's one thing that keeps people, keeps the church from being obedient to its call to go. I think there's a massive thing that is keeping the church from its call to obediently go. And here's what I think it is. And I think we need to repent of this and change. But I really believe that we are so ready busy that it's impossible for us to be obedient. That we are so busy that it is impossible for us to be obedient. Whether we're busy in good things or bad things, it it really doesn't matter. The reality is if we busy up our lives so much that there's no space for God to speak into our life, much less for us to respond to him speaking, that is sinful and needs to be repented of. Man, if if you're too busy to share the gospel and be obedient, man, that is a life not worth living and a life that does not honor God. Man, so how are you stewarding your time? And maybe, what do you need to say yes to and what do you need to say no to? Maybe it's time to look at your life and evaluate a little bit and see where you need to say yes and and where you need to say no. I know one of the things is I have conversations with young men. I'm always challenged with two things. A, what time are you getting up? And then B, man, what are you doing from the times of 6 to 11 p.m. with your life? Because if we're going to be obedient, we've also got to look at our lives and, and think, am I setting up my life in such a way that I can, it allows God to be obedient through me? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I get my screen time report, I almost feel convicted and guilty that I'm spending so much time on my phone, and that's probably a good conviction. I mean, how deep can we get on social media and realize we've just lost an hour of our day? Listen, the, the, the sin of busyness is keeping us from fulfilling the Great Commission. And this is something we need to repent of as a church and as a people. Verse 17. So we start with obedience. Verse 17 says, And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. So, so you get this, this scenario where some, they, they see Jesus. And some of those guys worshiped, and some of those guys, they just didn't know what to do. They doubted. What we see here in, in big part is that go is a response to worship. That as they worship Jesus, the overflow, the response of that worship was to go. If we truly believe there is no good apart from God, we will want others to believe and experience that as well. Not an attempt to convert or to be right about something, 
But truly, have you experienced this? We will want others to know it as well, and it will be a natural overflow. And if we really believe that there's no good apart from God, if we really believe this, then we'll want others to experience it as well. Let me, let me um, it's kind of like this. When you experience something new and amazing, imagine it's a, um, a coffee or a dinner or a new restaurant or a new store or um, in a new phone, um, a new show on Netflix, um, whatever, whatever this thing is, you experience something that just is amazing, think about how we respond. You text your friends. You talk about it. You post it on Instagram. You might give them a Yelp review. You go back multiple times. You take others with you. When we experience something good, especially in 2020, you know what we do? We tell others about it. We do. This is how we're wired. I mean, from the most extreme extrovert to the most extreme introvert, it comes out of us. When we experience something good, we tell others about it. And if we believe and have experienced that there's no good apart from God, then we'll tell others about it. And if there is no good apart from God, and we know this and are experiencing this, we're going to tell others about it. It's, it's the natural response. So when this says they worshiped him and that worship led them to go, we're saying, man, we experienced the Lord. They're saying we experienced Jesus. And it was amazing. And I, I want to make sure others have the same experience. Verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, one of the best things about this is the call to go comes under the authority of Christ. Here's what that means. It means the, result, the results are up to Christ. The results aren't up to you. The results aren't up to me. As I go and I'm obedient, when I go, I just have to rely on the fact that the results are up to Christ and not up to me. I'm just called to be obedient. They say it takes like 30 or 40 or 50 times for someone to hear the gospel for it to finally resonate. So if you're one of 30 or 40 or 50 or more, if you're just one of those people, your role may not be that day to see them completely change. But man, you're just, you're part of that. You're part of that, and your obedience matters. Go comes under the authority of Christ. The work is up to Christ. He sets the plan. He moves the feet. He brings the responses from others. He builds the kingdom through us. The best part of this idea of go is that the results are not up to you and I. We don't have to be awesome. We don't have to be eloquent, and we don't have to be full of knowledge. The results are up to Christ. Here's been my experience. My experience has been that it's those who are meek and weak in these areas, eloquence, full of wisdom, full of godliness. It's the ones who are weak in those areas that God seems to use the most. That God seems to, God, listen, God is looking for willing obedience. Are they willing just to do what I ask and do it the way I ask and leave the results up to me? And then he gives the great verse, right? Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen, we could take verse 18 and we could talk about it for days. Verse 19. He says, go therefore, and he says, make disciples of all nations, baptize them. And you do that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, as you go. And here's, here's the thing. 
This idea of go, when you read go, when you start to kind of do like the, the Greek of it all, and you start to kind of break down that word in the original language, which you may not care about, that word go is actually translated as as you go. So we, we often hear this as go, but really it's as you go about life and as God places you and moves you and calls you. So, so the question we have to ask is where has God placed you? Here's what we say in Refuge, because it's what the Bible says, starting in Deuteronomy, really starting back to Genesis, but you see it really clearly in Deuteronomy 6. Discipleship starts at home. Making disciples starts at home. It starts where God has placed you. And you may say, well, I live by myself. That's fine. Walk outside. Who are your neighbors? Because discipleship starts at home. Home is the mission field. From your kids, and all the way up, and it never should end. Home is the mission field. Who are you around? Who do you come in contact with on a regular basis? Like, if you don't come here, I'm just going to give this. If you don't come in contact with someone, then find a place to stop every day and encounter someone. Begin to pray for them and ask the Lord for an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them. How about, where is he calling you to go? Maybe you feel a burden in your heart to take the gospel somewhere it's not. You know, then you close your eyes, you see yourself there. Maybe it's another country, maybe it's a different people, maybe they look different. You know that that's what God has called you to do. What steps are you taking to get there? I don't know if you're aware of this, but for those who feel called to the mission field, when you talk to the mission boards, they say there's three things that keep people um, from... Becoming missionaries, three things. So if you want to know where to start and you don't know where to start, here's where you start. Number one is this debt. If you have a massive amount of debt or you're financially irresponsible, you won't be able to go. The second thing they say is health. They say that people are just unhealthy. They don't take care of themselves if they want to go be missionaries where they're going to walk miles and miles and miles. Man, get in better shape. The third thing they say is the sin of pornography. That it just has captured and removed so many souls from the mission field. Man, Make this, and, and so, so here, take the gospel where it's not. And then he says this, make disciples. Listen, I think we have to read it for what it says. Because he says, make disciples, not converts. This doesn't say, go make converts. But he says, make disciples. There's an element to being a disciple that I'm grounded in the faith. I'm walking with God. The spiritual maturity has begun to take place in me help others see and know there's no good apart from God. Make disciples, which means this as well. Once we lead them to the faith, we don't just go, all right, good luck. It's not, a, that it's not like that's the, that's the finish line. That's the starting line for us. And then from there, we continue to walk and pursue. And then he says this, and I don't think he says it for no reason. He says, of all nations, go and make disciples of all nations. Can we just acknowledge as often as we can see it in scripture that racial diversity matters to God? Racial diversity matters to God. I don't know how heaven has been described to you, but, but a lot of people, as I talk to they close their eyes and they only see people with the same skin color as them worshiping with their favorite worship music. That's how they view heaven. I, I hope that you realize that there's going to be every tribe and every tongue and every nation worshiping in their native tongue. So it may not be your favorite Shane and Shane or Crowder song playing. It probably is going to be something different. Christians must be willing to take the gospel to those who don't look like them. 
Men, be willing to see all of people as brothers and sisters in Christ. Men, one of the reasons we should be coming alongside our brothers and sisters who are struggling because of the racial tensions in our country is because some of them are brothers and sisters in Christ, and if they're not, they're future brothers and sisters in Christ. But one way or another, we're to view them as those who are made in the image of God, and we rejoice with them when they rejoice, but we also lament with them when they lament. And we've got to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ who, wherever they are, and say, we're with you. It's not about politics, man, but it's about the kingdom of God. And then it says, baptize them. Baptizing them defines their standing with Christ. We baptize them. Maybe, listen, maybe you've placed faith in Christ at some point and you've not been baptized. Maybe it's time. Come and talk to us. Baptism is the celebration that those who have placed faith in Christ have placed faith in Christ. Like those who were dead, spiritually are now alive spiritually. My prayer is that people in our community and city will eventually be baptized in this baptismal. And as they follow Christ, and even those who are in our community and that are our neighbors who don't even know it's coming, but it's coming. And listen, to baptize these people, we've got to bring them to church. We've got to see them come to faith. And can I just point out the order here? The order that Jesus gives is go and make disciples and then baptize. So often the church goes, oh, you're a Christian, let's throw you in the water. But what the Christian does, what the church doesn't, haven't historically not done a great job of, is let's, let's walk you through a process. Make sure you're maturing in your faith. Make sure you're responding to the Holy Spirit, and then we'll baptize. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always till the very end of the age. Teach them to observe all that Jesus taught and commanded. To make disciples means preaching the gospel and using words. I didn't say this the first time, but I think it makes a lot of sense and we have to say it a lot. There's this old theologian that said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It always takes words to preach the gospel. And you're a fool if you believe otherwise. It takes words to say, Jesus took your place even though you're a sinner. It takes words to say, but God demonstrated his love for you and for me that while I was still in sin, Christ died for me. This is how we make disciples. And, he, and he's saying, how do you make disciples? He gives, gives you the way. Go and make disciples. Teach them all that I observe you. All that you, all, teach them to observe, excuse me, all that I've commanded. Teach them what I taught you. So if you want to make disciples as a believer, which is your calling, then you open up the Bible and let's look at what Jesus said. And you begin to walk with someone pointing out all that Jesus said and did. And this is how we make disciples. We make this thing really hard. Well, I've got to have a guide and I've got to have a study guide and I've got to take a class and I've got to learn how. Somebody's got to disciple me before I can disciple someone else. No, the Holy Spirit is the chief discipler. And Jesus says the way to do it is by sitting and walking through and looking at what Jesus said and did. So the practical question that has to be asked is if, if you're called as a Christian to be obedient in making disciples, ready? Who are you discipling currently? Who are you walking with and hope to see their faith grow? Who are you discipling? If there is no, then the question for you this calling this morning is, then who is it? Who is it God wants you to reach out to and say, hey, can we start meeting, cup of coffee, read the book of John, and let's start looking at what all Jesus said and did. He said, well, I'm, Josh, you don't know how busy I am. Well, we, we, I, I, maybe I do, but, but I, would, I would strongly advocate that if you're too busy to make disciples, you're walking in complete darkness, my friend. 
God calls us to make disciples. And if you're going, I don't, I don't have anybody around me, then come see me. I'll give you someone to disciple. So, so practical application. Who am I discipling? Number one. Number two, get started. If I'm not, let's get started. Number three, if there's no one, I don't know where to start, I don't know who to start with, pray for someone to disciple. Pray for someone to disciple and watch God bring that person into your life. Verse 20, behold, I am with you always till the very end of the age. What he's saying here is be encouraged. The mission is not based on who we are or what we can do. The mission is based on who Jesus is and what he's able to do in and through your life. The mission is not based on what you can do. It's based on who Jesus is. As we go, this, this 20 tells us, we have the very presence of God with us. As we G-O go, we have the very presence of God with us. So the question is not if we are called to go and make disciples, but the question is when, where, and who. When am I called to go? We know that it's now. Where am I called to go, both now and in the future, and then who? Let, let me close with a story. Uh, I know a guy named Jonathan. This would be Jonathan's story. Um, years ago, Jonathan would say that he met a young man at church um, who just, it was pretty apparent the Lord had laid this young man on his heart. Um, as Jonathan would get around this young man, this man was faithful in church attendance. Uh, but beyond that, he didn't see a whole lot going on in terms of his walk with the Lord. He didn't see him engaging with the Lord, didn't see him praying, never really had his Bible, never engaged in church much. Again, faithful to church, but, but nothing beyond that. Didn't see a lot of fruit in his life. And in fact, saw some, kind of, some, some things in his life that just made, made Jonathan a little apprehensive. And so, but, but Jonathan could not get away from ministering to this young man. And so finally, Jonathan followed the Holy Spirit, went to this young man one day and said, hey, young man, uh, he didn't call him young man, but he said, hey, hey, bro, would you like to go get lunch this week? And uh, I think the first, Jonathan sells it, the first couple of times the young man kind of said no and kind of blew him off. And, um, and finally, Jonathan kept pursuing and, and then he finally set a date. And so that, that Wednesday, they were supposed to have lunch. And so that Wednesday, Jonathan shows up and the young man stood, stood him up. Jonathan kind of got frustrated, but that was okay. Went back to, back to it. Sunday saw him. He stood me up. He said, sorry about that. Something came up. Jonathan kept pursuing, kept inviting. And finally, he got lunch with that young man. And Jonathan said he sat in his car as he saw the young man pull up and was so excited that the young man finally came. And they got ready to walk in to, to Zaxby's to eat some chicken. And uh, as they walked in, Jonathan just started praying for this guy, praying the Lord would save him, the Lord would use him. And at the counter, Jonathan would tell this story. At the counter, he's, he's getting ready to pay, and, and the young lady asked a question where she knew Jonathan from. And Jonathan just really felt impressed upon the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with her. So Jonathan begins to share the gospel with her because he just knew that's why she was asking. And, and, it, and it, when it was over, it was awkward, and she didn't really know why he had said all those things, and Jonathan really didn't either. And so he and the young guy grabbed a table and sat there and started talking. They talked for a while, and, and uh, later that girl came by, and Jonathan just felt prompted again to pray for the young lady that was working there, and he did. And, and uh, again, she walked off, and like, kind of like that was weird, and Jonathan felt like that was kind of strange and awkward as well. And at the end of lunch, uh, Jonathan said, hey, man, you want to do this again next week? And, and the, the, the young guy kind of hemmed and hauled and didn't really want to, and, um, but Jonathan was able to rope him in. And over the next six, eight months, almost every Wednesday, they would meet at this restaurant. They'd have lunch together. Jonathan would share the gospel in front of the young guy, in front of others, and, 
Jonathan began talking about his own faith and his own story and his own walk with God, with this guy. And they, they really formed a great friendship. Well, at some point along the way, uh, this young man went to a concert, uh, kind of church concert thing, and um, as a college student, and ended up giving his life to the Lord. Um, did not know he wasn't a believer, gave his life to the Lord, really felt called to ministry in that moment. Uh, got baptized shortly after, and uh, a couple weeks later, they're sitting at the restaurant, and, and this young man is all of a sudden a different young man. He wasn't very excited about his relationship with the Lord. He's the one that's wanting to share the gospel with the young lady at the restaurant that they always saw every Wednesday. And Jonathan just saw this different guy. And Jonathan kept meeting with him and pouring into him for, uh, for years and years. And, and what Jonathan looks back and reflects on is he was able to disciple this young man. And, and what's really strange is he played such a vital role in discipling this young man, yet he never led this young man to the Lord. It wasn't his role to do that. Somebody, the Lord did that through a different means. Yet, Jonathan played such an integral role in this young man's life. The young man I'm talking about was me. This is my story. I had a guy come to me and say, hey, let's get lunch. Let's talk about Jesus. And at first I didn't want to talk about Jesus. And the Lord used that guy, Jonathan, to bring me to faith ultimately and then to continue to pour all of his knowledge of Jesus into me. Everything that I am now as a believer and as a minister is because of Jonathan. He poured into me and led me to the Lord and even led me in ministry in so many ways, and I'm so grateful for that. And so I, I share that story to say, man, who is, the, who is the person or who are the people that God has placed in your life that he wants you to have the same impact on? Because all he's asking for is, is obedience, that you would be willing to seek out going and making disciples and not growing spiritually, which is really kind of selfish anyway. So, so as, you, as we conclude our service, man, and you, you have something to write down, I'd just love to encourage you to write down a name or some names of those that God has called you to disciple. Let's pray. God, we love you, and uh, we thank you for your word and how it pierces our hearts. God, I pray that you would use your word, God, to, to create disciple-making disciples, God, in Refuge Church. God, our mission is that... that um, See, the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. And that idea of the saved transformed is, is seeing people come to faith and become discipled in the faith. And so would you draw us to you? Would you give us boldness and courage to live out? God, you are calling on us to make disciples. God, we need you and we love you.